Hello, hello. Hello, hello. All right, I think it's good. Welcome back to the Adventure North Podcast. This is Colton Whitty. And this is Sean Bloomfield. Thanks for sticking with us over the last uh, little hiatus we had, two, three weeks, without a, without an episode. Yeah, it's been a, and a little bit spotty this summer with uh, some work that I've been doing and then uh, was working on a campaign when that ended. I decided last week to go MIA up in Isle Royale. So. <laughs> I bet that was fun, though. It was a blast. Uh, it took my nephew first time like really roughing it. Um, he's been with us to the Boundary Waters a bunch, but uh, never living a, a really ultralight uh, lifestyle. So yeah, I think he enjoyed it a lot. What did you guys do up there? We flew into the West End, the Minnesota End. Uh, the you flew in? We did fly. Oh, in. nice. Uh, we were in a time crunch, and um, while it's spendy, it's actually only twenty or thirty percent more than the ferry. Okay. Um, and so where did you fly from, Duluth? No, no, from Grand Marais. Oh, okay, so it was a pretty short flight then. Yeah, it was about 25 minutes um, on the way there because you're flying to the near end of the island and then flying from the far end of the island. um, It's about 40 minutes. Okay. Um, So it's a pretty short flight. Cool. Um, But it was, again, um, for the amount of time savings, because the ferry to get to the far end, the ferry stops actually at like three points around the island yeah uh, from so it's probably like hours of it's like a five hour addition yeah. to get to the far Jeez. end and we didn't have extra now, time did you just hike around on it in camp or what'd you do we hiked from one end to the other we're just cruising all day sun up till sundown oh. um we actually didn't even bring cooked food uh or we didn't bring hot food we didn't bring a stove or anything oh. like that we just did cold pizza uh, <laughs> chicken tacos trail mix and granola bars wow. and how long did it take um so day one we hiked from windigo to i'm gonna forget the the stops names but we hiked about 12 miles we had landed at, at about lunchtime we're on the trail by 2 p.m um hiked 12 miles set up camp hiked 18 the next day which was okay. a, it was a pretty long day yeah um uh then hiked 12 the final day or the the third day which brought us within three miles of the of rock harbor is yeah. the end it's like rock harbor is the only place that you could really call a town and it's not even really that right um but there we thought that there would be slim pickings for camp spots in rock harbor so you just stopped a little short right that makes sense um, now i have a little bit of a fun fact before about uh isle royal before mm-hmm. we move on mm-hmm. if anybody has a chance to go to a computer look up ryan island on isle royal ryan island ryan island it is the largest island on the largest lake on the largest island on, on the, the largest, largest lake. lake in the world <laughs> okay so i'll say it again Oh, we'll say it backwards. Lake Superior is the largest lake in the world. Right. Isle Royal is the largest island on Lake Superior. Correct. The largest lake inside of Isle Royal. There's multiple lakes like within Isle it's Royal. Like it's big. Yeah. yeah. So the largest lake on Isle Royal has an island called Ryan. Kind island. Of called Ryan Island. That's the largest island on that lake. To wrap your mind, so it, right. It's, it's the like, only place like, in the world like you a, can say that. It's like a Russian nesting doll. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. 
So anyways, check it out. Check out Ryan Island on Google Maps. It's kind of fun. I've showed my students before, and they're not quite as excited about it as I am, mm-hmm. seeing as it's like a year later and I'm still talking about it. But <laughs> You're also the maybe biggest geography nerd that I've ever met. Could be. Could be. So anyways, this week's episode, it'll be kind of a short one because, well, Colton's a little bit slow with things, and right, we had yeah. a late start here. But with 45 uh, minutes to record. And I just wasted four of those minutes talking about a big what island. What the hell? Minutes. Sorry. All right. So... so this week's episode is about the book Canoeing, Canoeing with, with Jose. Jose. Yeah, it's by John Laurie um, and uh, printed by Milkweed Publications. Both are out of Minnesota. Um, he grew up in St. Louis Park, I believe. Yeah, and or it was like near Lake Calhoun, right? It was near oh, the chain. It was like of the, lakes. near the chain of lakes. I can't um, remember which side of it it was on. It was upstream of Cedar because I know that he could follow the stream near his like neighborhood backyard yeah. down into Cedar. And that was like part of the first chapter. That was like his Upgrade. initiation into the outdoors. Not just the outdoors, the but also the difference like living on a, like a, a stream mm-hmm. and the connection that like when you're a young person and dreaming about adventure, when you're on a stream you always are picturing what's further. Where's it right, go? yeah, what's going to be around this bend, Exactly. Right? So there's always that allure of, like, I could follow this to the ocean. Right. Because all yeah. streams, I guess there are streams that flow into uh, non-drained basins, but... Most. Almost flow, every yeah. stream on Earth flows to the ocean. Flows to the ocean. Which is why the ocean is salt water. Because all the salt that is brought down through sediment flows into the ocean, and is it doesn't evaporate. Act- is that yeah. a fact? Well, yeah, because the salt can't flow out of the ocean. And right. as water evaporates, the salt stays. Right, right. So it just gets more and more salty over time. I guess that makes intuitive huh? sense. Cool. Yeah. Uh, we are getting way off track. What's Canoeing <laughs> with Jose even about? I think we previewed it in the last episode, but we haven't talked about that yet. It is a really interesting book. It's much more a book um, about the relationship between John and Jose. And what do they is. do? So... Uh, well, they, they follow part of the canoeing with the Cree route. They go right. about a thousand miles of it. Yep. And they do it in, in pretty damn good time for having, like, Jose literally had never been in a canoe. Right. Um, and so he, this. I mean, so basically the premise, John is in his mid-30s. His, his marriage is, is deteriorating or over by the time yeah. that he embarks on this trip. And he is kind of mentored from the age of 15, this Jose, who's part Puerto Rican, part uh, Dakota. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Depending on parts of the book, and they explain this at the very beginning, there's just a note about his, the way that Jose identifies. Uh, occasionally identifies as Lakota, Dakota, or Sioux, depending on who he's talking to. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, and those are all well, very close to the same Well, thing. Sioux is the French name. Right. Or the, the name the French gave the Dakota. Right. I don't know. I'm not familiar with the difference between Dakota and Lakota. Likewise. But I know it's maybe similar. Maybe it's regional or maybe it's just dialectic. I, it, yeah, it, I, I don't know. I don't know if they're the same people or if they're... I don't know. But I know they're way, connected. Jose is of that... He's Puerto Rican and Lakota. Ancestry, yep. And he... Uh, Grew up in kind of like a rough part of St. Paul. He There was a, a lot of violence in his upbringing, gang his, violence. He, right, his parents were both like actual initiated gang members. Right. To the point that um, there's a specific comment in the book about he didn't have to go through initiation because he was literally raised in it. Yeah, so he, it was like a, 
He was like grandfathered in. Right. I guess you could. Right. I guess you and could say. They. I think also mentioned that he didn't describe himself to be a gang member, even though he was acquaintances with a bunch of people that yep. were in a bunch of different gangs. Yeah. And clearly connected to. Um, drug dealing life and, and violence. Right, um, violence was a big part of his life. I had actually read there's a part where, like, right before he leaves, he it takes some convincing to get to go. By the way, he's 20 at the time of the trip, right? Right. So it's five years after he and John meet for the first how time. How did How did they meet again? Uh, John was a journalist with a the circle. A nat- the circle is the name of the publication. It was a native newspaper news publication. And they, the Circle hosted a class for youth journalism. Okay. Um, I don't know. Jose must have volunteered for it. I don't know why Jose was there. They didn't really mention that. But it essentially, does. Jose was a student in that. And they had, like, a... They, like, got in each other's face the first day, calling each other the B word. Um, like, getting... The B word? Yeah, getting pretty... Uh-huh. Um, they were definitely... Uh, Jose was testing John, and John was calling Jose's tests. Like, yeah, he was basically like, try me. Exactly. And it ended up working. John <laughs> is, it wasn't John's, like, first exposure with uh, youths from troubled communities. Right. Um, like, he had spent time on a bunch of different reservations um, that were r- relatively low-income reservations. Right. Sort of like, thing. even up in Alaska. Alaska, yeah. South Dakota, just yeah. all over. Right. So, anyways, before, uh, speaking of the violent part, so, before he even, like, leaves, he has to convince them to take this trip. Oh, yeah. John has to convince Jose. And like, Jose, like, shoots somebody. Wasn't it, like, this guy that was with his girl, or? It was, so, and this is ultimately kind of what um, convinced Jose to go, was to Jose. Town. <laughs> kind of. His, um, he had been all set to be a father, um, his girlfriend throughout the, the winter, the fall and winter, as John's life fell apart, um, got a divorce, uh, and kind of basically seems like he was burned out and looking to escape. Mm-hmm. John was. Yeah. Jose was looking forward to becoming a father. Um, child is born, and the mother, I believe, was Native. Um, Jose is Native and Puerto Rican, and the baby was African American. Right. Um it's not his and so basically he is reasonably sure who the father is and eventually attacks the guy yeah um i took it as he murdered him but he does shoot him he shoots him but he doesn't murder him he shoots him i was like that's uh, that's quite the out that lurie (laughs) gave to the general public that jose just is a a murderer but that wasn't the case he didn't actually murder him he shot him but if, Regardless, Jose, one, is trying to skip town, but two, kind of realizes, I need to get out of this for my own yes. good. Wants to, exactly. He wants, wants to, to get better out. himself And actually, bit. later in the book, has the opportunity, so um, the guy that he shoots um, winds up in Stillwater Penitentiary. I believe it's in Stillwater. Minnesota's, like, biggest, most notorious prison. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Jose knows people that run a native gang in, in the Stillwater, yeah. and they ask him if he wants to have a hit put out on this right. guy, and um, says he'll call back, and I'm air quoting, but inadvertently tosses the phone, lost his into, phone yeah. into the Red River. Yeah, he accidentally lost exactly. his phone, so that he didn't have to call the hit, because he didn't want to say no, because then that would have made him look weak right if he had said no would have made him look weak if he had said yes it when he came back 
there would be inevitably retribution. A hit out for him. Exactly. Yeah. So that's just kind of a uh, little preview of what's going on with Jose. And that's also why when Colton mentioned the route they took, it was part of the canoeing with the crew route because for a couple of reasons. One, Jose did not have any experience in a canoe, outdoors, anything, with how tough it would be. Two, he was quite immersed in the, in the gang life, whether he was an actual gang member or not. So Lurie well, needed to get him away. They couldn't he, start in Minneapolis, or he would have quit either because he was mad, he would have had somebody come pick him well, up. He just, also wasn't experienced with the hardships of right, living. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. There's, there's, he had no experience with any of that. So Lurie really, knew that he was going to struggle the first if while. If they started by um, paddling from Minneapolis, Fort Snelling, yeah. to, to Mankato, like four or five days in it's still only a half hour drive to yeah he would have quit after one or two days right yeah he probably wouldn't have even made it to outside of the metro area (laughs) well and john mentions a couple different times that jose had friends that wanted to come say hi and well john wasn't in a position to say no they can't he didn't want them to right because he was worried it would bring him he'd he'd quit exactly so they end up starting out at the the, kind of the start of the red river it's not really a source because the red river starts when the wade sioux and the otter tail river meet at wapiton breckenridge on the minnesota south dakota border that whole watershed the the red (laughs) river slash nelson river watershed is kind of a mess yeah well because it's so flat at least the red river area well not just that but there are like from the the what you might be able to call the watersheds um like headwaters and there's also the the headwaters that you might be able to identify from the Assiniboine that meets yeah, up true. In, yeah. in, Winnipeg. Um, in Winnipeg I'm not sure which is longer but like you could call the headwaters of the otter tra- otter tail or otter track otter tail otter tail yeah that could be called the headwaters of the Nelson River right the whole Hudson Bay watershed, yeah. The Hudson Bay a, watershed. There's like, a lot of headwaters to it, potentially. Well, and uh, waters can flow through, like, there, the Nelson River, the biggest river that flows into Hudson Bay right there, doesn't itself have any headwaters. Right. Because it has a bunch of different rivers that flow together and assume new names altogether. Yeah, and even Lake Winnipeg. And Lake Winnipeg. It flows right. out of Lake Winnipeg. So anyways, they start... They skip the Minnesota River. They skip uh, the, the, the lake section, the Bois de Sioux. And when I say skip, I, I shouldn't try to downplay it because Lurie actually felt really reluctant to do that. At he the had to be convinced. He had to be convinced to change the route. He was like, I don't think it's really going to be valuable if we don't do the same route. And this guy was basically like, you're not Eric Severi. You don't have to do the same trip. Right. If you want to write a book about it, don't call it Canoon with the Creek. Call it Canoon with Jose and have your own trip. Right. And the name of the book is born. The name of the trip is born. But also it solidifies the purpose with which that they're going out. He was going out to canoe with Jose and try and help this kid. And I think probably downplays the amount of help that he was like... He needed that help, too. Yes. Jose was helping him as much as he was. But he was going out. He was being the the thrust behind the trip, at least, uh, to help Jose. Yeah. Yeah. um, The same guy who kind of convinced him to call it canoeing with Jose instead of, and basically take a different trip, he had a ton of paddling experience, this guy did. His name was Hal. 
Uh, and he, he worked on canoes. He had a ton of backcountry paddling experience up in, he, in the Northwoods. Um, but he describes the trip, and basically he's saying, just try to get up to the Hayes River when he says this. Like, that's the part of the trip that you want to do for you and for Jose. Not that other parts of the trip aren't good, um, but, like, what these two were trying to get out of it, that was it. And this, I loved this paragraph. It really, most of it I agree with, but it really kind of exemplifies this trip well. And I'm quoting, Hal went on to explain that paddling the nearly 500-mile stretch from Lake Winnipeg to the sea on the Hayes River was like climbing Mount Everest, except that far more people summit Everest every year than reach Hudson Bay on the Hayes. It's the crown jewel of the canoeing world. The rest of Severide's route, the 1,500 miles leading to the Hayes, is really just a driveway to the north end of Lake Winnipeg. Um, one, there we go bringing up Mount Everest again. <laughs> There's all these comparisons. And then two... My biggest, and you and I were talking about this before we started recording, I agree with that whole statement, other than the fact that I would say Lake Winnipeg is more than just a driveway. Yeah, Lake Winnipeg's an adventure in and of itself, and a very wilderness-oriented adventure in Yeah, and there's of not itself. really towns. It's a couple, but easily the much. most campable of the Great Lakes, because right. even though Lake, Shore, or Lake Superior's North Shore um, is pretty... Actually most of the shore of Lake Superior is pretty remote. Um, it's not like the shoreline is much less hospitable to camping. Right. Yeah. Lake Winnipeg is like relatively flat, easy banks, so you can camp kind of anywhere. It's pebble shore, whereas yeah. it's like it's rocky shore most of Lake Superior. Yeah. The toughest was, part with Lake Winnipeg would be the bigger waves because of how shallow it is. Yeah. And it's out it's also like the open where there's a lot of wind. It's much more campable too though because like you could swim in Lake Winnipeg and not Yes, unless it, yeah, Winnipeg. assuming it was like a warm enough summer. Right. Because right. it's shallow enough the water you can't really swim in Lake Superior. Whereas Lake Superior yeah. is it like unless you're wearing a wetsuit people don't spend more than a couple minutes in it at a time and right even a couple minutes is a long time the worst is when like in duluth what's the name is it park point is that the name of that long beach mm -hmm. that's across the lift bridge mm -hmm. be there on a hundred degree day and the sand is burning your feet but and then you walk into the water and it's freezing it's too cold <laughs> there's no good there's no winning in that situation i was just reading something and <clears throat> someone made an assertion that the surface temperature of lake superior never gets above 60 degrees i think that's an extraordinarily optimistic um high temperature high temperature yeah. like because above my, 40 or 50 it probably rarely gets my brother was on uh lake superior two weeks ago and we're recording this it's late august right now it's almost september a couple i think days it is september, september. is it Isn't september first it? it's the first day it is september okay <laughs> um so like the hottest time of the year and his boat has a surface temperature gauge and it still said that it was high 30s low 40s yeah yeah that's nuts it is nuts like it's it's extremely deep as far as lakes go. Just right. always, it's super stable yeah. in temperature. And now, getting back to Canoe <laughs> and Jose, speaking of Lake Winnipeg, uh, and again, this is kind of a shorter episode, so I don't have too much trouble skipping around here, um, but they end up skipping Lake Winnipeg. Yep. And yeah, they... basically, why did they skip it? I, I can't even fully remember that. Was it time? Uh, was it time and just like they didn't have the confidence with paddling also, it? the easiest way out i guess they hadn't really considered he didn't know when they were in the town of winnipeg he didn't know 
how they were going to both skip Winnipeg and how they were going to get back once they finished at the Bay. And the solution he came up with was rent a car in Winnipeg, drive it to Norway House, leave Jose and the rig in Norway House, and then drive back out to the freeway, or the highway. (laughs) Freeway would be way too generous. (laughs) Back out to the highway that goes from... um, from Gillum to is that Flin Flon or is that what's the the only like town yeah. of moderate size? Well, there's Thompson. Thompson. There. Yep. There's a highway from Thompson to Gillum, mm-hmm. and um, Gillum is where we flew into from York Factory. Exactly. Yeah. So and that's so, the nearest town to Hudson Bay if you don't include Churchill. Exactly. Um, and so he he drives drops um, Jose and the brig off in Norway House, then drives back to the town at the intersection that, um, like, the, there's the highway from Thompson to Gillum, and then it turns off, and you can drive like to Norway House. a pretty off-road to get to Norway it, House. Right. Yeah, it's probably, like, it's probably dirt the whole yeah. way. Yeah, and there is a ferry. We there were is, trying to read through it. I didn't know, I don't think he mentioned, I don't remember, when I was reading it, I remember thinking he didn't mention the ferry. Right. Um, there is a ferry. Sure. But right. he just... Well, I think... It's pretty short. I don't know if This it's takes even place like, in 2006. Um, it was still a ferry when we did it. 2008. Until, I think, though, they've put a bridge in replacing that ferry. Oh, really? Then. It's not on Google Maps, but how, how often is Google Maps updated up by yeah, Norway House? Right. So... Um, but yeah, they leave the car there so that they can... They, too, flew from York Factory to Gillum. Yep. And then took a train from Gillum to this town. To this town, and that's where they picked it, up the car again. So, exactly. so skipping Lake Winnipeg, long story short, kind of provided them, one, a way to skip a section that they were pretty unsure about. Well, and, and he needed two, to be back for his son's birthday. Oh, yeah, they had they had a time constraint. Yeah. That's right. So then, also, it kind of gave them an, an, a way to leave an right. escape route right. from finishing the trip. And before we, the the bulk of the interesting part of the story, for a variety of reasons, is the Hayes River. Um, because that's when yeah, Jose is interacting with some of the natives up there. It's also the most wilderness part. But there's a lot of interesting things that happen even before they get to Winnipeg, which I we kind of jump to. Yeah, the majority of the, the story is a, it's the tale of the relationship between John and Jose. Yeah. And also, uh, there's a lot of, race commentary on what it's like to be um an american indian or native um jose's perspective on the on the world and and how like realistically native culture has been abused to put it lightly right um by american culture not really caring about treaties and the the rights of natives and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing and it definitely affects their journey because um and john actually makes a a comment in the book about um it being funny or that he like couldn't help but smile or be amused at the the way that jose um thinks and defend acts to defend himself against white people while out there is the same way that Severide um, acts to defend himself from Indians From natives, there. yeah. They both wanted to sleep with the gun. Right. Explicitly saying they didn't know what they would do if they needed to use it, <laughs> but that they wanted the security of sleeping with the gun yeah. because they were afraid of each other. And he actually, John talks a lot about... Um, 
Separate. Canoeing with the Cree yeah. is, does not speak highly of Native people. Right. Um, it's and we discussed that in the Canoeing yeah. with the Cree episode, didn't we? He's it's very critical of it. Very, very, and yeah. rightfully so. And I think maybe the the most important critique of Canoeing with the Cree um, isn't just that in 1930 that language was um, pretty standard. The fact that Severide never addressed canoeing with the Cree sure. in later life yeah. is definitely a, a, an odd thing. Uh, granted, Severide does criticize the people that when they're in Barron's River, um, basically tourists from Winnipeg um, get off the steamship and are talking to the, the leader of the Barron's River um, clan tribe. tribe um, and asking him stupid, silly questions yeah. about, do you have, like, papooses? And... So it, it, it seems like, without being there and really knowing and being able to get inside Sephiroth's head, it seems like he, he, his heart was in the right place. He uses the he common just... vernacular without any trepidation, but also recognizes that yes. they are people and should be treated like people right yeah and so not and, and again we address this in the canoe of the crypt so not to minimize the how bad it was the way Severide spoke in canoe of the Cree. you're right there is some evidence especially later in life of, of his views not necessarily he didn't go back and talk about canoe of the Cree and what he said in that but i think his track record's fairly he's like very liberal but sure. liberal doesn't at least in this country, liberal doesn't necessarily mean sympathy for disadvantaged groups. True. Especially natives. Yeah. Yeah. Especially natives. Yeah. Um, so Regardless. It, it, I was going to say, one thing that I noticed with Jose was, and you mentioned this, how he had to like sleep with a gun. Just pretty much the entire trip, he was on edge. Because that's how he was raised. He grew up like always, you never know who's about to try to kill you. Yeah. And that was his upbringing. Imagine the way that your brain is wired when that's your whole childhood. And so being out in the woods, being kind of defenseless in a tent, mm -hmm. like, it was probably just extra expanded it upon. It changed yeah. the trip at times. Like, even, like, simple planning things, like, where they would be preparing to make camp, and then a bunch of redneck-looking people pull up and... Nope, so like, nope. <laughs> not camping <laughs> here. Not here. Right. Yeah, and then which, so, frankly, I understand too because I wouldn't want to camp. Right, we were and we were kind of apprehensive at times when we were camping, but yeah. for the most part, it worked out. But there's definitely advantage of being white male and middle class. Right, for sure. Yeah. So then, uh, getting across the border was interesting because they just went across the border. They did not do what. Like, we thought it was strange that there was no border patrol and there was, like, there wasn't even an indicator where the border was. Nonetheless, we estimated. He, and we he, walked up and, He yeah. comments that you could see the searchlights and all the, like, traffic. Did of, they do it at night? Is that when they crossed the border? Yeah. Okay. Um, he mentions that he knew exactly right. where the border crossed. <laughs> and they, the they just kept going and, and the only reason they... tell you. Yeah, the only reason they even ended up checking in is because their gun was stolen. Right. Uh, and they were like, well, we got to report the gun missing. Right, right. Because he's afraid that um, the consequences of not doing so, if it was used in a crime and it comes back on him, right. the consequences are much, much bigger. Right. 
Um, so yeah, he he calls and I think he played it off as like we just missed the border exactly, right. which is actually kind it's of possible. valid. He there didn't, but not, it's possible. <laughs> there's nothing indicating no. that at least there wasn't in 2006 and 2008. Maybe there is now, but I doubt it. Just baffling that there's yeah. not just like a sign. Right, <laughs> you are now crossing into Canada. Right. Um. So that is, and then in Winnipeg, um. Well, it's, it is kind of funny. One of the reviews... I shouldn't say it's funny. Um, it's interesting. One of the reviews... It, there's not a ton of reviews about this book. Granted, it's relatively new. It's relatively um, new. But, I, like... And we've talked about the, the positives and negatives, the pros and cons to reading reviews before you read a book. Uh, they're mostly positive. The, the main negative review on Goodreads, out of, like, the five that it has, is somebody saying that it was a little... Well, it was defending uh native culture it was misogynistic and i think that was more so just like again the language that jose typically uses grew up uh, because around. of how he grew up around so yeah. kind of coming full circle with what we were defending women are mentioning f- severide used that language because that's how he was yeah. raised jose did the same thing and lurie doesn't necessarily tell him not to he doesn't really partake what no and i think that was this reviewer's critique of that lowry didn't right but it wasn't probably like if lowry had said hey you shouldn't refer to women as hoes which (laughs) is probably the most common pronoun that jose uses for women yeah um jose wouldn't have he would have have told him literally would have told him to f up right and put his headphones back in yeah because Jose had his headphone. We haven't even mentioned that. Jose listened <laughs> to music like the entire time, didn't he? Yeah. He had a little discman, like he a CD you player. Left with like forty double A batteries. Yeah. And it's to... funny because like I imagine him just paddling along and just rapping. Yeah. Like to... <laughs> <laughs> just like it's a really unique perspective. Like the the story is kind of choppy and abrupt yeah but the perspective on the relationship between john and jose makes this book worth reading yeah it's a good character analysis the dynamic between the two of them uh and it does it does for us it was interesting i thought because they went through especially on the hayes river a lot of it well the exact area that we went through yeah and and only a couple years before we did so not much of it was very different right um they had trouble um finding the there were Nervous, just as we were trying to find the Ichimamish River, um, off the Nelson, the off right the after Nelson, Norway House, exactly, yeah. um, and express similar confusion with how the Ichimamish River could flow in two directions. Yeah. Um, again, it, it just happens to be that its main um, source of flow, I believe, it's spring-fed. It's like a swamp. This spring-fed swamp is on a watershed divide. So out of one end, it flows west, and out right. of the other end, it flows east. And it's not like there's, the, at least when we were on it, because of the beaver dams, perhaps, but there's not that much flow to it. No. So it's not like we were going one way and like, oh, 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 it's going the other way. Like, we couldn't, you basically kind of had to look down at the weeds underwater yeah. to see which way it was flowing. Right. It wasn't like you're paddling up and over a steep ridge or anything. Right. Each <laughs> yeah. probably Very had, gradual. like, 40 feet of gain over its... 40 miles yeah. sort of thing right. like it wasn't much yeah um it's a really unique geologic feature um called bifurcation or at least is a form of and the only other really famous bifurcation that i can find is the Kasikiari, um which co- connects the orinoco um which flows through it's the biggest river in venezuela um depending on the time of year the orinoco and the amazon are a, a, a 
tributary of the Amazon connect. It's just actually like when um, the one historic flood in the Lakes region connected the Minnesota and Red Rivers. Oh, yeah, so they it's, say. yeah, right, right, right. If that ever happened or if it did... It, regularly. It was, it, was, it was a lake basically connecting two... Exactly. A lake or a river canal connecting two separate flowing right. rivers. Rivers that flow into other watersheds. Right. And so this is a much smaller version of it, but it's a pretty rare thing. The oh, it actually, and actually yeah. literally means water that flows in two directions. Right. Yeah. And Creed, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so then they get going through the haze. They hit a little bit of a trouble in Hell's Gate, which granted we did too. Uh, especially right before Hell's Gate. If you remember, those of you who listen to the podcast, I'm assuming have read the book Adventure North, so you should be familiar with the story. If you haven't, be sure to do that. <laughs> Without a doubt. Uh, but the part when Colton so foolishly wanted to uh, run rapids that I uh, intelligently said not to. Uh, <laughs> You're very generous. Yeah, quite. Um, <laughs> anyways, when we went down the rapids that we ended up doing some 360s, hitting some ledges sideways and backwards, filling that the was, canoe with water, that was right before right. Hell's Gate. Right. And they, they portaged that one, right? They portaged it, I think. It's, it's hard to tell in this, um, and depending on how high and low the water is, it, that those rapids could look totally different. It's The book is similar... Um, in a sense to death on the barrens in that it's much more about the characters and, and the dialogue and exactly there's not a ton about like if i if we hadn't done it i wouldn't totally be able to picture you this wouldn't place. be able to under right the descriptions of the river and the route and um it's just that's not in the foreground right yeah. so essentially though they do end up hell's gate gorge if you remember is uh, multiple mile basically canyon with sheer rock walls on both sides and rapids down the middle it was and nice we to... just paddled down them because right. that it was it was scary and it was a challenge we were able to do it we were more happy because the water level and yeah we had both of us at this point had some rapids experience mm-hmm. um they got in realized that it wasn't going to work and climbed the walls and lined the canoe with ropes that were 50 feet long from the top of these I cliffs. I just cannot believe how... This is the one biggest... It really demonstrates that... I think that they... They took some risk going with... Especially Jose having right. no experience. That added some definite risk to the and experience. This is... A, I hesitate to be too critical, but this is, it's just a really stupid plan. <laughs> it's a really stupid plan. And who knows, maybe the rapids were so bad that they for sure would have swamped, yeah, right? Maybe they had no, this was their only plan. But Jose also wrapped the rope around his wrist. Tied and almost, it around his wrist. And almost pulled him down off the cliff back into the raging rapids It's just like, if they're able to line from the tops of the canyon, and they were able to climb up there, why wouldn't you just one piece at a time get stuff to the top of the canyon? Yeah, I wonder how they even climbed it. up. They must have. Because they were already that they in climbed up they... a crack. Okay. Because they were already in the canyon once they decided to. This is like easily the most harrowing part of their trip. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because and then so like they're going and eventually the boat does, um, the boat does get uh, turned a little sideways in the current and the power and weight of water um, really does. Well, it like, almost pulls them in, but also almost tips the canoe, right? It almost tips the canoe, in which case, like, they would have been super screwed. They're not, like, 
they didn't have a survival pack that they brought up to the hilltop with them, they would have lost True. Everything. everything. Yeah, they would have been out in the middle. And they're a ways from Oxford House still. Oh yeah, like they're not walkable to no. Oxford House no. without gear. They would have definitely died. I'd imagine so. Yeah. Um, so they end up getting through it. <laughs> uh, they get that you know the rest of the book basically from here on out is talking about the near death experiences through different rapids various rapids whether it's the rapid section whether it's the the knife rapids between oxford house and uh knee lake they do stop in and spend some time i think it was just a day but they really especially lurie the the author really spent a lot of time at the uh, like conversing with the staff of the uh, flying fish resort on knee lake yeah whether right. it's called knee lake resort or north star resort it's changed names and i can't remember the order right or what it was at this Wait, time right well it was this, knee lake one, at this, this time. one it's knee lake okay so we don't sure know if for it, us it was knee lake so maybe it used to be north star and it previously. either was north star before 2006 or after, after. 2008 gotcha. because it was the same for both our trip okay. and ours. yeah um and that i mean he really seemed to enjoy that conversation but then from there on out, it was... It was... Well, they actually... They... Was it on Swampy? Oh, it, was, it was between Knee Lake and Swampy Lake where they, they met. Ran they ran into, into a, a father and two teenage daughters that were even less prepared well than prepared. Yeah. Like, they had, like, I wonder cheese what the outcome sitting out. And, I don't know. Were, now, were they going from, like, Oxford House to the Bay? Yeah. Is that what they were doing? They yeah. flew into Oxford House and they... I guess it doesn't say where they started. Yeah, but, but it was clear there for like a week-long trip or something. No, they mentioned um, they expected to take two weeks. Two weeks, okay. Um, to go yeah. from Oxford House to the Bay. Yeah. and um, But they said that like their canoe was packed as if the canoe was the pack rather than having packs. They just had <laughs> they all just of their stuff in. just tossed in the canoe. Yeah. That is suicidal. Especially if you're going through rapids. <laughs> <laughs> That's, it just mind-bendingly yeah. like and maybe this is just if you haven't done your ample reading i guess on how to safely do this you wouldn't know but like it's especially if you're a parent taking your children out there of critical importance to not be negligent yeah and yeah it's just anyways <laughs> <laughs> so they get into the rapid section they do damage the nose of the canoe they, right kind of cave in the front of the canoe but it actually speaks to the it's great anecdotal evidence about why in every rapids canoeer these days uses plastic canoes now is they were it caved in the front and he was able to rack a wrap a big rock in a t-shirt and hammer the the royal x back in from the inside and he said it looked like it hardly it hadn't hardly (laughs) been damaged right which in uh in Expedition Canoeing, Cliff Jacobson's book, talks about how he had seen once a canoe that was literally wrapped around a rock and they got peeled it off and then made new wooden thwarts out of branches okay. and duct tape, and it was still paddleable. It was paddleable, yeah. yeah. Those, uh, those plastic canoes... Especially the more durable. The, the layered ones. Like right. a cheap kayak is like a single layer of roto-molded plastic. Mm-hmm. Those things puncture and fold and they're probably crackable. Yeah. But like the layered um, Royal X, it's like bomb proof. Yeah. yeah. Well, saved their life. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I guess, and, and it's interesting, we're kind of wrapping it up quick here because we're on a time constraint, but um, my biggest, I, I really enjoyed the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I Like you said, it's a lot more about the characters, and that's fine because there's already a couple books out about this trip. There's Canoe the Creed, there's uh, This Water Goes North, there's Adventure North. There's a book that's coming out next summer. Yeah, Hudson Bay Bound. Um, yeah. By we, Natalie. Yep. Uh, we interviewed her at the end of season one. So there's plenty of books out about this. This one I enjoy because it's different. Uh, it's less about the adventure, and it still yeah. has some of that, but it's more about the characters. My biggest critique of it, however, though, if I'm going to give one, is just how it ended. It's, it it kind of just, like, the last 20 pages are the most climactic part, and then it just kind of ends. Yeah. Uh, they get to Hudson Bay, they make it. The weather does get cold, but it doesn't seem to be windy or sleeting like it was for us necessarily. Right. Um, but they get there, and they fly out, and then it's done. My biggest thing that I wish they would have done is given some type of, even an epilogue or something. Of what of happened what for with Jose. Jose. And even him. Right. Um, it just, it, the plot arc is almost non-existent. Yeah, it just felt a little abrupt, like, like he was ready to be done. Yeah. Writing. Yeah. Or maybe it was on a time crunch like we are. <laughs> we haven't talked about yet, though, and you and I personally even, as we haven't talked about, is the next episode. Oh. Uh, I think yeah. it's fairly safe to say that we're getting close to wrapping up this season. School is yeah. starting for me in a couple days here. It's Labor Day weekend. Things are getting so, busy again. Yep, I'll still have nights available the next couple weeks, and then I start evaluating tryouts, and that's pretty much five hours a night, almost every night. And then the nights I'm not doing, I'm going to want to be with my family. Yep. So we might have one more episode in. Us, yep. I'm uh, the guy who I uh, know his sister that was hiking the Appalachian Trail. He finished. He's back. He made it. I want to get in contact with him. I think that'd be a great kind of finale. Definitely. Season. No Definitely. promises yet, but uh, just keep your eye out. It won't be next week. I'm guessing the next episode after this one, but hopefully in the next couple weeks we'll get one. Yep. And um, well, we we'll have to do some sort of wrap up for this season one way or another. If we don't get the interview. Um, and at that point, we'll be announcing we do have uh, plans for the third season, um, whether it's a, a little short mini season or the format we are still working on. But um, we will be able to go ahead and update y'all on that as well. Awesome. I'm excited. Well, for Adventure North, this has been Colton Witty. And this is Sean Bloomfield. All right. We'll talk to you soon. See you guys.